Uh, I gotta get this thing adjusted here. Why don't we why don't we sit uh, quietly for a few moments? As we begin the sitting, just take a moment to take notice of the environment in which we're sitting. How do you experience the environment? Hearing the sounds outside the room and inside the room. Feeling the temperature and the humidity of the room which for you might be comfortable or a little uncomfortable. And coming, letting your attention come into the body, feeling what's going on in there, pressure of the buttocks on the cushion or the chair, your hands, wherever they are, folded, or on your lap, or your knees. Just letting your attention float throughout the body, just feeling whatever sensations are there as you settle into the stillness of sitting. And just as we check out the external physical environment and the internal physical environment, we want to also take note of the internal mental environment. What's the flavor of the mind at this time of day, at this time of the retreat? Is there some excitement? Are you just tired after a long day? Curiosity, expectation. These are the qualities of mind that might be present as a background to everything else that's going on. So we just want to take notice of them. Not that they're right or wrong or better or worse. It's just the way things have come to be for now. And just relax. And let your attention notice what it will. Inner, outer, physical, mental, emotional, gross or subtle, familiar or novel. Relax. Let it be just this way. 
Hello. Thank you for coming to this um, period of practice. We all need support. And while you are here to um, learn this particular kind of practice and to get some experience, we're here to share what we can with you and also to practice. Because practice of awareness is a full-time job from the time we wake up to the time we fall asleep. Not just when we're on retreat, but for the rest of our life. So, here we are. My name's Steve Armstrong, and many of you know me, so I won't go into too many details. And to my right, your left, is Carol Wilson, uh, who we met in 1978, when, maybe some of you weren't even born then, in 78 when we both went on staff at the Meditation Center in Massachusetts and we've been um, Dharma companions since then, teaching for the last couple of decades even. And to my left, immediate left, is Franz Merkel, um, who I met in Burma a long time ago, 25 or more years ago, when we were both monks in a, a monastery there in Rangoon. And we have a common interest in the Dharma as well as... <laughs> what? the Grateful Dead. I mean, <laughs> you know, Dharma teaches to us all. So, and then we've been traveling on this journey quite a lot together and, and also uh, teaching for the last several years together here and uh, in Massachusetts. And to his left, further, my far left and your far right, is Alexis Santos, whom I met about eight, nine years ago, maybe, eight or nine years ago, when I first went to uh, practice with Saito Utejaniya in Burma to learn this particular method of practice. And uh, Alexis had been there, was there as a monk and had been there for a couple of years and practicing with Saito. And we had many fruitful Dharma discussions then and subsequently when we've been practicing together there several times and more recently, he has uh, been selected to uh, participate in the teacher training program that Jack Cornfield and Joseph Goldstein and others are uh, training several people for uh, teaching. And he is here on this retreat on his second or third year in the training program in order to both train with us and to offer you his uh, perspective of these teachings because he has a lot of uh, experience with Saito Tejaniya uh, in, in this particular practice. And we're happy to have both Franz and Alexis and Carol here. The topic of the retreat or the title of the retreat is called Through Dharma Eyes, Training in awareness and wisdom. And I want to mm, 
elaborate a little bit on why we chose that title, because uh, it'll help you to understand what kind of practice we're interested in supporting here. You know, when you watch the news on TV and you're shown a 30-second video clip of some newsworthy event, they show you the video, you watch this 30 seconds, and you see for yourself everything that happened, what was said, what went on, and you see the news. And then these talking heads come on and tell you what you saw and how you should understand it for the next 30 minutes. At the end of which, you no longer remember what you actually observed. Right? You have a lot of views and opinions. You may be persuaded one way or the other. But it's very difficult to go back to your original perception of what you saw and what you heard and have any confidence that you know for sure what that experience was. Well, the news for each of us started when we were born. And we've been experiencing the news of our life ever since. And we have had innumerable spinmeisters, beginning with our parents, telling us what we're experiencing and how we should understand it and what it means and whether it's good or whether it's bad, whether you should like it or whether you don't, whether it's shameful, whether it's hurtful, whether it's after some number of decades, it's hard to know for ourselves anymore. It really is. We have so many competing voices of authority within our own mind that we often don't trust our own experience. Or we don't trust ourselves to understand our own experience correctly or meaningfully or appropriately or in a useful way. How are we ever going to recover that initial faith in ourselves, trust in ourselves, uh, to rely on our own experience in life? How can we begin to see things as they really are? When I say really are, I mean the truth of things to see things without any spin, without any filters, but to see the way things really are for us at the time we experience them. Because that is the Dharma. The Dharma is the truth. The Dharma is the way things are. The Dharma is the way things have come to be. And the teachings of the Buddha called the Dharma point to that. The teachings of the Dharma point to the way things are. The Buddha, we could say, is just another one of these spinmeisters. He's got his way of understanding experience, life, reality, and he puts it out there, and if you want to see as the Buddha saw, understand as the Buddha understood, then you listen to his teachings. Now, the one thing about the Buddha's teachings that it's important to remember is his bottom line or what was of most significance to him was suffering 
in the end of suffering. That's what he cared about. And sometimes it's said that he said, I teach one thing and one thing only, suffering and the end of suffering. So if you want to get a very partisan or very uh, opinionated view of life, there's all kinds of authorities that have their particular angle, which may not be about suffering and the end of suffering. It may be about selling you something. It may be about convincing you of something. It may be about enlisting your support for some political activity or candidate. But it's not about suffering and the end of suffering. Hopefully you're here with some understanding that the teachings of the Buddha can be helpful, useful, pragmatic for each one of us in coming to understand our life in a way that allows us or encourages us, permits us to suffer less. And so if we can hear the teachings of the Buddha and train our own mind to take it in, take a look, see if it's true, verify what is, question what isn't, then we too can be on a path of understanding suffering and what leads to the end of suffering. That's why we say that this is a training in learning to see our life, the world, all of experience through the eyes of the Dharma. Is this suffering? Does this lead to suffering? Does this lead to the end of suffering? But it takes training to do that because we have so many, as I mentioned, competing voices, other authorities in our heart, in our mind, that uh, confuse us, that mislead us, that promise us what can't be delivered. And so, quite rightly, we don't always know how not to suffer. And sometimes we choose suffering. So, what we hope to do in this retreat during our time together is offer the view of the Dharma, the Buddha's understanding of things, offer you the training that will lead to the awareness of your own experience in light of these teachings, and to see for yourself whether there's less suffering, more suffering, or an understanding, just an understanding of suffering in your own life. Awareness that we'll be talking about a lot is really a dynamic activity of mind. It's not just a momentary thing, but it's, a, it's an ongoing dynamic activity of many different qualities and capacities of the mind that allow us really to be aware of and to be fam become familiar with and to remember to take notice of each moment of our life. So much, and many of you know, so much of our life is lived on automatic pilot and we're not there for it. We react out of deeply conditioned habits that cause ourselves and others suffering, and we react mindlessly. This is definitely not the way to happiness or the end of suffering. And so what we'll be doing is pointing to taking notice of this, taking notice of when we're present when we're not present, 
in what's going on in each in each instance. Because as we come to know the way things are through direct observation, we begin to understand things more deeply. Here, as well as in other retreat centers where I teach, there are a lot of deer around. Now, everybody knows a deer. Everybody can recognize a deer. But what do we really know about the nature of deer? How, how are they, really? And if I asked you, what could you actually say about the nature of deer? You might want to go to Wikipedia or Google and kind of check it out and find out what you should know. Or you could just stand still and watch a deer for as long as it's within view. And if you just watch how a deer moves, what it eats, when it eats, what its ears do, what its tail does, how long it's in view, how long its head's down before it lifts its head up, if you just watch, observing without any opinion whether it's good or bad, without any idea of whether it's useful or not, if you watch for 10 minutes or 15 or 30 minutes, you will know more about the nature of deer than what you can read in Wikipedia. The same can be said about your own heart. There's a lot of books out there. There's a lot of tapes. There's a lot of speakers telling you how it should be or how it might be in your own heart. But if you sit down or stand up or keep moving and watch your own heart and mind, you'll know more than any of those books has to say. And that's the power of observation. If we just observe things carefully with some continuity, we will come to know ourselves in a way that no one else does or could tell you about. You don't have to figure it out. You don't have to explain it. You don't have to fix it. There's nothing wrong with you. We just want to understand more precisely, more carefully, more effectively how it is for us. And with that, we will choose to suffer less. Nobody needs to tell us how to suffer less. We can understand for ourselves through direct observation of our own heart and mind. But that takes faith. One of the dynamic qualities of awareness. It takes observation. Another dynamic quality of awareness. It takes stability of mind or continuity of, of observation. Another dynamic quality of awareness in order to understand a fifth dynamic quality of awareness. And we'll be speaking about all of these qualities uh, throughout the course of the retreat. We received these teachings from Sayadaw Utejaniya. All of us have been to his monastery, his meditation center in Rangoon, uh, the Shweyumin uh, Dharma Center, or Dharma, Dharma Center. And he's a, uh, a Burmese monk, uh, just turned 51 a couple of days ago, who's been teaching this method of mindfulness. Um, and he teaches mindfulness of all four foundations. Mindfulness of the body, mindfulness of feelings, mindfulness of the mind, mindfulness of the Dharma. But his specialty, or maybe I should say his emphasis, is really on awareness of mind. 
Other practices that have come to the West, including the Mahasi Sayadaw tradition, uh, that has had a huge impact on the way that we practice here in the West, initially emphasize awareness of body, the rising and falling of the abdomen as you breathe in and out, or the sensations at the nostrils as you breathe in and out, and that's their initial instruction. Saito starts with observing the mind. Now this is a long tradition in the Buddhist path of practice, and Saito's Utejaniya's teacher was an elder monk named Shuiyu Min. Shuiyu Min Sayada was the f- one of the first primary teachers at the Mahasi Center in Rangoon. Taught there for ten years, and when Utejaniya was a young man, young young boy really, uh, before he ordained, his he went and spent a lot of time with this elder monk Shuiyu Min, and as a young boy, he his, the the Shui Yumin was something like his uncle or his grandfather to him. Uh, a confidant, uh, uh, someone who mentored him, um, and just really put a lot of attention to his development of his, of his mind. And many times throughout his early uh, years, through teenage years and early adult years, he would go and stay for months at a time at the monastery. And then when he reached adulthood and became a businessman, he still was practicing as a layman, practicing the teachings that he'd received from this, his teacher, Shui Yumin. And he said that he did most of his uh, really uh, significant initial practice of mindfulness through the mindfulness of mind while being a businessman uh, in Rangoon, where he was dealing with customers and retailers and wholesalers and a busy life, kind of managing a business. And that's when he really did his practice to really understand the benefit, how to, and the benefit of watching the mind. This makes his teachings particularly useful for us because we lead busy lives. There isn't anyone in the room that isn't way overstretched, has too much to do, and hard to find time to sit down and meditate. But it's particularly useful because we also like to think a lot. And we have a lot to do, and we do it fast. No matter how fast you go, and no matter how much you do in a day, it's never without your mind. And if you can learn to watch your mind, you can take it, well, it will go with you everywhere you go. No matter where your mind goes, you can be there with it. It's not like you have to go slow. And in fact, Sayadaw says, yes, that you walk at normal pace. Do your, act, your normal daily activities at normal pace. Watch the mind. If you're watching the body, you're going to want to slow down, focus, kind of... Just kind of draw your attention way down to these microscopic sensations in the body as you lift your foot and move on. Which is not a bad practice, and it's good to know how to do that if you're living in a monastery or a cave or living alone. But if you're living with people, you're driving, you're running a business, you're dealing with uh, your internet every day, 
not so practical. Okay? So, Sayadaw's teaching is particularly useful for us as Westerners because we're busy, we have a lot to do, and we think a lot. And this practice really gets you in touch with your mind. Okay. On this retreat, we know many of you have practiced with many different teachers, and they've all offered many different techniques, many different understandings, and they're all valuable. They are all appropriate, suitable for you at one time or another. No, no question about it. And in the long course of our practice to walk and develop the Eightfold Path in our life, we're going to need all of them. But what we're offering here is just one slice, one slice of the Dharma. We're going to be offering mindfulness of mind or awareness. And we'd ask you to, as best you can, put aside your other practices. Not out of judgment, not out of condemning or anything like that, criticism. criticism. Just put it aside, listen to what we're saying, give it a shot, learn as much as you can. At the end of the retreat, you can take it or leave it. You can use it when useful and not when it's not. You've got all your other practices to, to support. And what we have found, uh, each one of us, is that while it took some adjustment to learn this particular way of practicing, once we learned it, it was very complementary with everything else we've learned. So it's not like one's right, one's wrong, one's better than the other. It's like they fit together very well. But we need to know how to do it. And so for this period of time, we'd ask that you really devote yourself to hearing what we're offering, practicing in this way, do the best you can, and getting some facility with, with this particular technique. We will not be offering any of the Brahma-viharas. We're not going to be offering loving-kindness or compassion practice or equanimity practice. Many of you know how to do that. Fine, you can do that as you wish. But for now, we'd ask that you try to practice the mindfulness of mind. When we, when we think of the different meditative traditions that have come to the West, there's just dozens. And while the initial instructions of the different traditions can sound and are very different. Uh, and, and the teachers of those traditions are very emphatic about doing it their way. Uh, we too. Um, it doesn't mean that there's only one way. Because in fact, if we follow almost any of those paths of practice, while initially they're different, the instruction's different, the guidance for them is different, the experiences are different. If we continue on the path of developing our mind, we're all going to end up in the same place, and that's suffering less. You will have noticed that the schedule of the retreat is a little different than other retreats you might have attended. But while a lot of it is familiar, the sitting before breakfast will have the chanting of the refuges and precepts, there's breakfast, there's a work period, 
there's an initial sitting of the day after breakfast when we'll be offering instructions and taking questions. That sitting at 8.15, we would like you all to be sure to attend because that's the one sitting of the day we're going to be offering instructions and taking questions to clarify them for you. After that sitting, there's a period of nearly three hours, or maybe three hours, where we say it's self-scheduled. You can find whatever rhythm you want to do the practice. And you can practice in whatever posture you want. You can sit, you can walk, you can run, you can take a hike, you can stand still, you can come and go, you can sit for 10 minutes and walk for 10 minutes, sit for 10 minutes and walk. You can sit for an hour or walk for an hour. You can, it's up to you. Now, rather than kind of plotting out in your mind how you're going to get through those three hours, why don't you just see how it unfolds? You can, you can force a schedule on yourself, but maybe you'll have assigned yourself a sitting when you really need to be walking. And how are you going to know except if you watch and know your own mind? So we want you to... To, to, we encourage you to feel your way into these open-ended periods of time, these three hours in the morning and the four hours or so in the afternoon, and just see what feels right. Trust yourself. It may take a couple of days to feel comfortable and at ease with how it unfolds for you. You cannot understand yourself by watching what other people do. There's going to be people sitting at times and walking at times. We would ask that you, you know, be respectful of those who are sitting when they're sitting. And if you come in, to come in with some mindfulness, awareness, so that you're not really unnecessarily agitating uh, energetically those among whom you'll be sitting. And when you get up to leave, same. Come and go with awareness and... For those of you who are sitting while others are coming and going, well, guess what? <laughs> You're just going to have to deal with it. <laughs> like life, right? It's like, it's, like, it's like that. So it's just good practice to have a very allowing, open, spacious mind and to find your own way in that. We'll be taking questions, we'll be offering guidance on how to do that, but the first couple of days might feel a little what am I doing here and what am I supposed to be doing and all. But what we found is that for most people, after two or by the third day, they really settle in and quite appreciate following their own rhythm of sitting when they want to sit, walking when they want to walk, standing when they want to stand. What we're pointing to with this kind of schedule is that every moment from the time you wake up till the time you fall asleep is the place of practice. Sometimes when we have a schedule, we think during the sittings, you've got to really try hard. And during the formal walk-ins, you've really got to try hard. And the rest of the time is recess. You know, like time off. I've had people say, they look at the schedule and say, well, when's the time off? I say, there's no time off. What do you mean there's no time off? No, it's like you're on from the time you wake up to the time you fall asleep. Bathing, eating, going to the toilet, doing your yogi job, and, incidentally, sitting and walking. 
Some, some, some teachers say the most important practice is anything other than formal sitting and walking. That's when you really get to test how well you're doing in developing awareness. We'll be offering the refuges and precepts. The refuges, Carol will speak about shortly, and the precepts are about non-harming or really how to live in harmony as a community here. There'll be 80 or 90, at least 90 of us on the retreat and another 10 or so staff that are helping to make it possible for us to be here. So there's, there's a lot of interactions possible. And so we're going to want to have some guidelines on how to live in harmony with one another. We're also going to conduct the retreat in what is called noble silence which really means um, to speak really only about your practice when necessary and to put aside, you know, kind of social chatter uh, or chit-chat or distracting chatter that really has no purpose in supporting your, your development of awareness. If you need to speak to one of us or one of the staff, or even with your roommate tonight to kind of arrange things, of course, that's fine. It helps support your being here in a, in a kind of useful way. But other than that, uh, as much as you can put aside speaking, and I might say that includes texting, reading emails, writing texts or emails, and anything else you might do online. Um, you've got the rest of your life to do that. You know, and it's not going to support you being here. Can you do that? Should we have a raise of hands? Yeah? We really would ask you to make a commitment. It's for your own good, you know. And the power of our addiction to digital lifestyle is, is immense and it's, it's really it's, it's hard to put it aside, I know uh, you'll see me with my phone too but consider the value of learning to observe your own mind and suffer less and just ask yourself, is it worth it? it's just a training, it's just a nine day training, it's not the rest of your life you get that for whatever you choose to do you will notice that on the back side of the chanting sheet, where we have the refuges and precepts, on the back side of this is what are called the 23 points of the right attitude for meditation. This is Saito Tejaniya's original instruction for the first few years, I think, when we would go to practice with him. This is what you'd get, and it is actually a great guide to learning to observe your mind. Uh, we're expecting some books to arrive in a day or so, and we'll have more guidance from him for you. But until then, I would encourage you to read these, uh, even frequently, as a support for how to approach your practice, the kind of the quality of mind, the attitudes of mind to bring to, to practice, because it really is a significant 
contributor to learning to observe your mind. In addition, I just want to mention that we will be scheduling all of you to be seen by uh, Carol, myself, and Alexis in groups uh, every day, every other day. Uh, we have found groups to be particularly useful in this kind of practice, partly because we get to hear an hour's worth of teaching, both to ourselves and others who are experiencing or reporting experiences similar to what we have or will experience. And it has a great leveling effect because it, when you are in a group and you hear others talking about their practice, it normalizes everything. Nothing special. No matter how dramatic it is for you, it's normal. It's a pretty natural occurrence. Almost all of us are experiencing something similar. And so to take it out of the realm of us, my, my, psycholog- my psychological problem, uh, it's just a normal human event. And how to be with it, how to be aware of it, how to understand it, how to work with it. It's really helpful uh, in, the, in, the, in the group question. So I want to thank you all for choosing to, to be here. It's, it's such a privilege for all of us to be able to uh, share our interest and to share our love of the Dharma and in this case our particular, well, relative expertise uh, in comparison to, to, to you maybe who haven't heard it yet. Um, it's a, it's, it just brings us a lot of happiness and joy to, to, to be able to, to share our lives with you in this way. So thank you all for, for coming. I want to also mention that while we do offer walking instructions and traditionally walking and sitting are the forms of practice, we've invited Franz to offer his movement. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.